You know, if you choose values that have a long track record of failure in people's lives, then it's likely that you're going to run into trouble in your life trying to build on bad values. So we're going to share some of our values. We're going to share the reason that they're there. Because if you can have a deep and a wide foundation, it allows you to grow a really strong, a really healthy life, not just financially, but across your entire life. Welcome to Getting Money Right, a show dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom through education and inspiration so that you can be free to pursue your true life's purpose. We're your hosts, David Thompson and Leo Sabo, and in this episode of Getting Money Right, we're going to be talking about understanding and living by sound foundational principles in your finances. Yeah, that's good, David. I mean, most of the things that we've talked about over the last two and a half years has been these principles, but we haven't really paused and said, this is why we do what we do. And the fact that these principles are core to the decisions we make and why we even manage money the way we do and Mm -hmm. the way we operate our finances. So financial principles are similar to having a set of values and beliefs that you and your family live by. For example, as a family, you might value eating dinner together. This is something that Natalie and I found uh, very, very important early on when the kids were living at home. And the benefits of this are numerous. Uh, We had the time to find out if everyone was getting along. Uh, It was a perfect time to find that out. It was also time to work through feelings that might have been hurt during the day or during the week. And it was also a time to share ideas and interests. There were conversations that we would yeah. have at the dinner table yeah. that we normally wouldn't have any other way. And it was also time to instruct, sometimes to correct or counsel and offer wisdom to our children and, of course, learn ourselves. But if we didn't have these values in our life and we didn't make this a priority, there's a good chance that some of the benefits that we have gained through our family and the way our children were raised would not have happened. So it's really important to understand that financial principles are similar to these. They operate in the same manner. They provide a predictable, positive outcome, a benefit, if we abide by them, and of course also warns of consequences if we violate or ignore them. And that's why they're so important, because the decisions we make are based on what we value. But if we don't identify these financial principles, then we're bound to actually ignore or violate them. And then we wonder, well, why are we in trouble? Well, more than likely violated financial principles. So we want to uncover some of those and talk about how to make sure that you're living by these principles. These principles are going to allow you to have a strong foundation. And we use that term intentionally because when you go to build something and you're building your financial life, you're building your purpose-filled life. I mean, you have a purpose. You have something that you were created to go and do and serve people. And as you step towards that, if you have a deep and a strong foundation that's wide then you can build a big life on top of that. And so the deeper that your principles go, the wider that they stretch across your entire life, that you don't just have a few principles in a few areas of your life, but you've actually taken this and said, no, I'm going to live by a core set of values. But you also have to be aware of what those core values are. You know, Mm -hmm. is that foundation going to be cement? Is that foundation going to be sand? You know, if you choose values that have a long track record of failure in people's lives, then it's likely that you're going to run into trouble in your life trying to build on bad values. So we're going to share some of our values. We're going to share the reason that they're there. Because if you can have a deep and a wide foundation, it allows you to grow a really strong, a really healthy life, not just financially, but across your entire life, you know, relationships and and just having a healthy life emotionally, mentally, physically, 
across everything that you were created to go and do. Yeah. So that's why it's important that we incorporate these principles into our lives. Yeah. In financial principles, we want to give you a few of these examples, although there are many more that we won't talk about today. But I think as you've listened to the podcast, you'll recognize that a lot of these principles we've already been talking about. We've identified and we talked about why it's important to do these things. These principles do have a both a positive and a negative to them, right? There's do them right and you'll get this reward. Do them wrong, you'll get this consequence. So one of those is saving and investing. And that's probably more pertinent to what's going on in our society today than any other time. We'll talk about where the markets come from in three months, where it's gone, where it's come, and why it's important to stay the course. But it's a principle, right? The principles is the principle of saving or the principle of investing. These are principles that basically say that if you consistently conservatively potentially and wisely if you do these things if you save and invest in this way you'll benefit right if you're conservative if you don't take big chances if you know what you're doing if you understand the investments and you consistently and conservatively do this then you'll benefit from it but if you don't then there's a downside to that right and i think one of the things that we've all seen in the last couple of months is this desire to time the market mm. and get rich quick and quickly plan your investment at the last minute to try to maximize your gain instead of living on a long-term plan and actually saying, okay, we're going to look at a consistent savings that is conservatively invested and wisely invested over a long period of time right. and actually saying my core value is not get rich quick or to try to, you know, figure out the market at the last minute, but instead I'm going to have a long plan in place mm -hmm. and not deviate from that just because the market has shifted. And we're going to look at some of the actual numbers. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about borrowing and whether it's wise or unwise to borrow and whether you're borrowing for assets or you're borrowing for liabilities. You're borrowing for something that's going to grow in value over time, or you're borrowing for something that you consume. Any consumable is usually going to be a bad place to borrow money to invest right. into right. a consumable where it disappears and yet you still have to pay somebody money for that consumption uh, over time. You've borrowed, you've put yourself in basically a place of servitude where you now go to work to pay somebody else. Yeah, uh, That's a pretty hard place to be. You know, what's interesting about that, I just thought about this example of what you just said. And it's, for instance, if you're buying a car and car payments, mm -hmm. we've talked about this many times that as soon as you drive it off the lot, it's worth less than what you paid for it. Yep. Even if you put some money down, there's a good chance you'll be upside down depending on how much the car depreciates in the first two, three years, which depreciates much faster than you can pay it down. So right there, you're taking a principle of borrowing and you're buying a liability because a car is not an asset. It doesn't grow in value. It diminishes in value. So therefore, you just bought a liability on payments. And then with that, of course, is added interest. So now you're paying for something you can't get out of. It's a liability. It takes up more of your income, right? So a bigger percentage of your income is going toward that purchase. And that goes into another principle, which is the principle of spending. Mm -hmm. That's a financial principle. Spending is a financial principle. So if you spend wisely, right, if you look and make a plan and you realize, gosh, I can't afford a $400 car payment because that's going to push me over what is reasonable for my budget, then you're going to make a decision to say, you know what, I'm going to buy a less expensive car, maybe borrow for a less period of time, something that's within my budget so it doesn't eat up all my income. And again, this is spending wisely. But if you do the other, then there's consequences to it. So all of these principles, saving and investing, borrowing, spending, 
even things like co-signing and doing things that financially could put you in a situation that's either better or worse. These are things that we do. These are principles. And whether we like it or not, it's like the principle of gravity, right? It doesn't, you don't have to believe it. It will act a certain way. And that's exactly what happens with these principles. So we wanted to not introduce these to you, but tell you that what we talk about all the time is based on these financial principles that we learned. And the only way that we can stay the safe path is to abide by these principles, to know what they are, to know the good side and the bad side, and make sure that we're erring on the, on the right side, that we're not taking the wrong side of these principles or doing something that literally says, if you do this, you're violating the principle. Mm-hmm. And typically that's what we do when we do the wrong thing. So let's look at the four principles of purposeful living that we've talked about for many, many episodes. This is just a part of the core of who we are at getting money right. And the first is to spend on purpose. And we always recommend that you spend on purpose so that you can know exactly where you are. Mm -hmm. And inside of this, we just did a whole series on budgets and budget tools and budget softwares and how you can actually create a plan to spend on purpose. In fact, the very first series of episodes that we did, episode basically two through 10, give or take, was all about living and spending on purpose. Right. When you're spending on purpose, you, you put that principle into place, it's gonna provide safety in other areas of your finances mm-hmm. and therefore in other areas of your life. Then we look at saving before you spend. So you create the plan, you're spending on purpose, but before you spend a single dollar, you set something aside. You save before you spend so you can experience stability today and in the future. Yeah. And if you don't have any saving, then you're going to experience pain. And this is why it's a core principle. This has to be a part of your life. It has to be a part of every every day of your journey has to have, leave some margin it has to say, okay, I'm going to save something. I'm going to save some energy. I'm going to save some time. I'm going to save, uh, I'm going to make sure I'm saving some money. This just has to be a core principle in your overall financial plan. Yeah. There's a, there's a proverb that I want to share right here because it talks about this principle and how it upholds it. And, and I think it's really, really well said. But it says that the prudent sees evil ahead and hides himself, meaning they, they see something's coming and they prepare for it, whereas the foolish just marches on and suffers the consequences. Mm-hmm. And savings is that core financial principle that if we don't just take into account that the future's coming, it's not going to stop, it's gonna come. And if we're not prepared for it, then we may suffer the consequences of that lack of savings that could get us through it. So once you're spending on purpose and you've started saving, then it's time to increase your financial margin. And this is gonna happen in every season of life. You have that savings, but now it's time to grow that. It's time to be content, to live on less than you earn when you're spending on purpose, and really to continue to grow your income while you keep your expenses the same or even decrease them over time and see that margin increase in your life. And so if you're saving $50 a month, well, 12 months from now, you have $600. Two years from now, you've got $1,200. It just grows and grows. That margin grows. When you increase your financial margin, it allows you to pursue your true life's purpose And that is a huge part of what we desire for you here at Getting Money Right is that you're able, that you're free financially to pursue the thing that you were created to do. Like what is your true life's purpose? And and it it could, it's a huge range of things. So we're not going to say, oh, your, your purpose is this, your purpose looks like this, but you have something that is unique to you to go serve this world with. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have the financial margin to step out and do it, 
you'll be shackled to your job, you'll be shackled to your car payment, you'll be shackled to your house, and you'll never have the margin to go and do and really be completely fulfilled in this life. And so then we would say, once you've started to create that margin, you want to invest it wisely. Mm -hmm. So we always recommend that you invest wisely so that you can increase your impact long term. Mm And that means that you're going to have more margin, more safety, but it really means that as your dollars grow, it magnifies your ability to go out and serve in your purpose. Mm -hmm. And that's really cool. You may, let's say you're working full time and 20 years from now you've invested wisely and you can afford to work part time. Well, now you've just opened up 20 extra hours a week to go and walk in your purpose. One day you retire and you can serve people in your purpose 40 hours a week. As you increase your financial margin, as you invest wisely, you can actually increase your impact on the world. And that is a really, really big deal. So I think it's cool to look back at some of the things that we've talked about. And the reason we talk about these principles and we re- really wanted to reemphasize them today is because when we look back just three months ago, we were talking about how to make a financial plan during uncertain times. And really a lot of the things that we were saying, we're going right back to these principles. Mm-hmm. And then three months before that, we laid down some principles for investing. And we actually began to walk through four unique places to invest in episode 92. In episode 93, we talked about, you know, hey, is it good to follow the news and start to have your investments be affected by yeah. the news, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because if you've been watching the news, you probably, if you're, if you're in, at the season of investing in your life, you're probably thinking that it, this is either the worst time to invest or the best time to invest. There's yeah. fear, there's heightened you know, insecurity, there's oh, I'm going to miss out on something or oh, I'm about to lose all my money. It's fear that the news is going to shake you. And so we said in episode 93, should you be looking to the news for your investment advice? Mm. It was literally perfect timing because that was November of last year. And now six months later, you know, seven months later, we've just seen this huge cycle. And so we're going to look at that cycle. We're going to look at what happened. Uh, In episode 96, we talked about rules for investing. In 97, we went through a few more rules for investing. So when we look back at the principles that we laid out six months ago and three months ago, looking today at what ha- what's happened, yeah. it just reaffirms those principles in our mind. It gave us a chance to say, hey, w- this works. Mm-hmm. And here's some really good proof and evidence of that. Yeah. So what's interesting is, you know, you look at the last three months and we've seen the biggest drop in history of the stock market and everybody was predicting gloom and doom that is going to take a year, year and a half, two years before things even become, you know, anywhere near normal where they were. And here we are literally three months after everything started to go south. And we're almost back to where we were in January. In fact, a lot of the indexes are right back to where January was. And that's what the market does. You cannot predict what it does. And I remember we made this comment, David, that I saw a tweet about, uh, Vanguard, they tweeted while yeah. all this mess was going on or the panic was going on. They thought they put this tweet out that said, what are Vanguard members or customers doing? Investors. And they said nothing. Meaning dot, they're not panicking. Yeah, nothing. Nothing. Because they're not <laughs> panicking. They're staying the course. Because they've educated their consumers on why you don't panic. Vanguard, right. they're, they're basically applauding their consumers saying, mm-hmm. our, our, our customers, they live by a core set of principles. Mm-hmm. And they're not shaken by the market. That's right. Our our customers know that it's foolish to try to time the market. And so they're not trying to jump out and jump back in. Mm-hmm. 
they've decided before this even happened years ago, probably most of these Vanguard investors have decided we're, lo- we're taking a long-term look. And this is what we talked about in episode 92 through 97. And so let's look a little bit at what happened. And I just, I love that. What are Vanguard folks doing? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's, let's look at some of the things that have happened in the last 90 days due to COVID-19 and really just prove the value of those episodes. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the S&P 500, which is my favorite index fund, it's my favorite place to look at the overall stock market. Uh, you also have the NASDAQ and you've got a few different places that you can look but at the Dow Jones, but the Dow is just 30 stocks. Yeah. The S&P 500 is, it's actually 505 stocks, but it's about 500 yeah. of the largest companies. in the It's country. a broader description of the actual health of the market because mm-hmm. it incorporates so many more companies, not just 30 big ones. So yeah. So on February 19th, the S&P hit its peak. So that's about a month before we really realized how bad things were going to be with Corona in the U.S. Now, a lot of people were starting to understand in February and really late February. I was actually in another country at that time, and I had no idea how bad Corona was getting. Like I was watching the news like you know, on my phone at night, but other than that, I had no idea because uh, I was just I was actually not vacationing, but touring another country and enjoying it. So February 19th, the S&P 500 is at an all-time high of 3,386. Mm-hmm. So just about 3,400. Um, then, just one month later, mm-hmm. on March 23rd, the S&P 500 was cut basically by a third. Yeah, 30%. 30% down to 2,237. So it goes basically from 3,400 down to 2,200, just about. Mm-hmm. Then, just a few days ago, before we recorded this, on June 8th, the market, the S&P 500, had recovered to 32.32. So it went from 34, I'm I'm not going to use 100, but 34 down to 22, back to 32. That is amazing. 3,400. Less than three months to recover. Less than three months. From the biggest drop ever. Yeah. So, so, uh, you know, when we saw this happen in 2008, 2009, we, we saw about a 40 or 50% drop, but it took years for that to come back. Yeah. This was 30% in three months and f- pretty much fully recovered. We're not actually back to the peak yet, mm-hmm. but what this tells me is that right in the midst of this thing, just, just dying. Like, I mean, everybody's seeing the market cut so fast and there's so much fear and so much worry. Should I sell my stock? Should I sell my Vanguard, you know, S&P 500? Should I sell my mutual funds? Well, if you're a Vanguard holder, if you, if you have if a customer of Vanguard, you've probably been educated to just leave it alone. If you're a getting money right listener, you were educated to leave your investment alone because yeah, there are going to be cycles where the economy goes down 10%, 20%, 30%. But within three months, it has recovered back. Now, do we know what's going to happen in the next three months or the next six months? No. But this is a, a microcosm of why you should not let fear and panic guide your decisions, mm-hmm. but instead have a long financial plan built out. Yeah. And when we talk about saving And when we talk about spending on purpose and then saving before you spend and increasing your margin, one of the things that we look at is just having that budget in place and then beginning to remove debt from your life, 
having this emergency fund savings, or we call it our stability fund, mm-hmm. so that when the market cuts by a third, you're stable. Yeah. You don't have to pull from your investments while they're down 10%, 20%, 30%. If you didn't have a plan in place, then you may have had to sell some investments just to live. But if you've been living with a plan for an extended period of time, now when the market cuts by a third, you don't even think about it at night because you're not worried about your long-term investments. You have your emergency fund or your stability fund so that your home is stable financially. Even if you had to miss work for a month, two months, three months, and you get your little stimulus check of like 1200 bucks, but you're not worried about it because you have the stability fund. This is the difference between living on a long-term plan versus waking up in the middle of a pandemic and being like, oh my gosh, I have no plan. I'm, I'm, I'm panicking now. So this is why we talk about having these principles in your life. Yeah, and it's also considering that investing is about money that you won't need for a while, right? I mean, if you are near retirement, you would not be invested in, you know, 80, 90% stock because it's too volatile. You don't, especially with the economy having been done so well for so many months that we had a hundred and some months of just continuing yep. growth. Yep. So it was bound to correct at some point. Now, nobody predicted it would be a coronavirus event, right. but but either way, everybody said that there's some kind of correction coming and that's just the cycle of the market. However, when you look at the overall plan, how people reacted, and this is something that I want to challenge our listeners, how you reacted through these last two to three months is really important to look at, to say, did I pull the trigger and sell? Did I worry about it all the time? Was I on the news every day fretting because it's going further and further into the basement? Or was I like, hey, you know what? It's, It's okay. I'm okay. Just as David said, I have my basic needs met. I've got my emergency fund. Nothing's going to happen to me in the short term. Investing, I've got another 30 years. I've got another 20 years. So I'm not going to freak out about it. I'll just let it go. That's what you've been told to do. Did you do that or did you panic? And the reason I want to bring that up is because if you did panic, if maybe you were either focused on it too much and it caused too much worry and stress for you, or you actually pulled the trigger and sold at the bottom, then you have to go back and realize that maybe your temperament and how you think about investing needs to change. Maybe your strategy is wrong, right? I know that if I was up every night worried about my stock or my mutual fund or wherever I'm investing, then I don't, you know, that that's a sign to me that there's either too much focus on it or I, it's too much risk for me to tolerate. So if that's the case, it's always a good idea to look at how you're reacting and say, is my plan one that I can just, you know, plug it and let it go. Not that you'd never touch it, but mm-hmm. it's not something you worry about every time. So I think it's really important to, to look at your reaction to this. And if you worry too much, maybe you need to consider that that mix of stock versus bonds versus, you know, cash, whatever, however you're going to make that mix, that maybe has to change a little bit sure. so that you can sleep better at night. And maybe, just maybe, you'll earn less interest but maybe you'll earn more. It just depends. Because if you ride that train to the top, right? If you go to the top and everything's great, and then when it drops, you sell, you made 30%, but you sold at 25% oh, negative. Yeah. So you only made 5%. Well, why not just take, make a steady 6 7 8%? Mm-hmm. So my point is, it's important to look at your mix and realize that this is not about getting rich quick. This is a long-term plan. It's the dollar cost averaging we talked about. You buy low, you buy high. In the end, you'll buy 
at the market price, which will fluctuate, but in the end, you'll make money. That's what the market continues to do, is make that compound interest work for you. So, so important to really look at your temperament and maybe make some corrections. So that just depends on how you react to doing the season. That's right. I think it's really interesting that one year ago, basically today, the, the S&P 500 was at 2873. Hmm. And now it's back to, th- and now it's above that, yeah. 3232. So 3,232. Versus a year ago when it was at 2,873, it's gone up over 10% in the last year. Yeah. And that's good. with a 30% <laughs> drop in the middle of yeah, that. Yeah, isn't that crazy? That's wow. crazy to yeah. me. Like that, I mean, just think about that. The volatility of stocks is like in one year you could have made 10%. In one year you could be down 30%. In one year you could be up 50% if you happen to get it just right in the timing. But but the thing is, nobody gets it just right in the timing. Yeah. Now I say that, not nobody. Statistically, there are a handful of people that will get it right in the timing. Get lucky, because that's not skill, because right. there's no one that can it's, predict the future. It's, it's luck. But, but statistically, probabilistically, you cannot actually go in and time the market. And experts have tried to do it for years. There have been studies on it. Uh, there will always be a handful of people who, who get it right. But even Warren Buffett, who's one of the greatest investors of our whole generation, multi-multi-billionaire, who made his money from investing, even he has said that his investments, his money, when he dies, he's like, I, I know that somebody is going to be able to pick the best investments moving forward, but I don't know who it is. I can't predict who that person will be. Therefore, I can't invest my money with those people because I don't know which one is going to get it right. Right. So he even leans towards like 90% of his funds going into something like an S&P 500 when the other 10% being something goes into more stable bond funds because he's just saying, look, I can't predictively look at the market and know who is going to get it right in the future. And so I think he, I mean, like, I think he's very wise, but he's looking obviously at what is the best scenario and the most guarantee that I can get. And the only guarantee we have when it comes to investing is that we can look at what's happened over the last 100 plus years and know that the rate of return is somewhere between 9 and 11%. We know that. That's just, you know, it's just data. But we also know that when you look at the American economy and the world economy, mm-hmm. it continues to, 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 grow. to grow. Yes, it goes through cycles, but there's constantly improvement in way of life and in products and things like that. So as long as people produce and people invest, there will be winners and losers. If you just get in, you yeah. will ride up there and benefit from those investments because right. those companies will grow and some will die and some will grow. But overall, it moves upward, even with the corrections. It's as much guarantee as anyone can right. get. There's always going to be And Warren saying, that's the best guarantee I can get because I don't know who's actually going to be able to predict. I don't know anyone that could do right. it. So I'm not going to pick that person. I'll just put it in somewhere where I know I can at least somewhat believe that it'll continue. And I think it's a it's a safest bet. Yeah, you've got these 500 stocks in the S&P 500. So you're well diversified. Mm-hmm. You're investing in some of the top companies in the country. And so you have a few built-in measurements of safety that you've diversified so that some will go down, some will go up. But you're also investing in the kinds of companies that have proven themselves over a long period of time because they became the top 500, right? Right, right. So uh, it's just, it's really interesting. Now, there's no guarantee that in the next 100 years, you'll get 9 to 11% um, like we did in the last 100 years. You know, the past earnings is not a guarantee of future earnings. 
But what is almost guaranteed is if you try to get rich quick and you try to time the market, you are not going to get it right and it's going to cause you financial pain. And you have to pay attention to the market all the time, every day. And I think this is one of the tricky things. Um, I look at my purpose and what I'm called to do and what I love to do. And I think if I were watching the market every morning, every evening, trying to time it, trying to study everything about money. And I love studying finances. Like yeah. I, I enjoy it. would not it. be a hard thing for you to do. It wouldn't be hard, <laughs> but I would miss out on the things that I'm called to do. Right. Because my, right. my mind would be so focused on trying to time everything. And I've met people that invested years of their life into this. And it just, it literally started to drive them crazy because they were spending so much time following every ticker, every analysis, every, every quote from a guru. And, and to balance all of that is so difficult. And you can do it if that's your full-time job and your job is quantitative analysis, or you work for a brokerage and all day long, that's all you do. But if you're a doctor or if you're a teacher or if you're a pastor or if you're a construction worker, it's going to be extremely difficult for you to have a strong grasp of the day to day and predictively analyze what's coming and going. It doesn't mean it's impossible, but it's just so unlikely that I would rather have you going and operating in what you were created to do. Right. And then let your money grow over time in a consistent basis. Yeah. I mean, I, I love that because so many people think that the only way they can actually invest and have success in that is by either hiring somebody to do it or then becoming experts themselves. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's a struggle that I had for a long time. Like, I want to be a good investor, but my world is not the stock market. I I look at it from time to time, but it's not something that I can spend more than a few minutes, you know, a day, if that. And so I don't want to devote my life to that. And I think there's a danger that if you begin to pursue it to that level, you have to ask yourself, is there maybe another principle that you're violating in your life? And maybe that that's the principle of contentment. Are you really content? You know, because we've talked about it on this show. It, this, this life is not about money. Money is a tool that we get to use. There's much greater, better, and more fulfilling things in life to do. Money can either help you to do those or can hinder you from it. But if you make the focus of your life making money, unless you're, of course, working on Wall Street and that's what you do, then that's your job and you make money that way. So we get that. But my point is if you have a full-time job and you're doing something that matters, and you are trying to equally become the best investor in the world, pick one or the other because right. you're going to make yourself miserable. And uh, and you po- more than likely won't do either one of them very well. Mm-hmm. So focus on the things that really give you life and then just set it and forget it kind of thing. Investing is about knowing enough, putting it in that space, you know, from time to time looking at it, maybe reallocating some of those so that it's more of a mix that you're happy with and you're not stressed about. But it's something you put in today and let it continue to grow slowly over time. And so I think it's important that you address any lack of contentment inside of you because otherwise it, it will drive you crazy. Yep. And uh, it's just not, it's, it's not a good way to live. There's too much stress in that. So one of the other things that we've seen a lot of, not only in the news, but even a few personal friends where there's been this question of, hey, what do I do if I want to build that plan, but I'm going through a season of extreme difficulty? And we want you to know, 
if you're starting to build your plan, we're with you. Even if you haven't built it in the past, even if you've made mistakes in the past, even if you're starting from scratch, that's okay. We're on your side. We're not mad at you. The reason we emphasize the principles and the plan so much is because we know it works and we want every person to have that in their life. Not because we want to shame or cause somebody to feel bad that they don't have it today. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to set it up and put it in your life. And so what do you do if you can't pay your rent, you can't pay your bills? And the important thing here that Leo and I have been talking about is just the priorities, Mm -hmm. the order of importance in your budget. When you look at your rent versus your credit card payments or your student loans, it's so much more important that you're able to stay in your home or Mm -hmm. wherever you're renting, have a consistent roof over your head, get a good night's rest than it is that your credit scores stay perfect and that you make all your credit card payments on time or all of your student loan payments. We'd rather have you defer that student loan payment while you get your house in order so that you can go into the marketplace and win. Now, if you're at a place where things are right on the line and you don't have the skills that are needed for that career, you may need to go live with a relative. You may need to go live with a family member, a friend. You may need to dramatically cut your living expenses and you've got to reprioritize. So there are scenarios and I've seen it on multiple occasions. I, I in a way did this when I came out of college, I went and lived at home with my parents for a couple of years because I had a large amount of student loan debt and I wanted to remove that student loan debt before I went and got my own place to live. I sacrificed in the short so that long-term I could have that stability. Um, and I know, I know a woman who uh, I was working with coaching and, and she actually lived, she was in her 40s. She went and lived with her mother who was in her 60s because the woman in her 40s had taken on student debt for her 20-year-old daughter. And so she was paying off her 20-year-old's debt and she was living at home with her mother so that she could pay that off. It was a short-term sacrifice, and everybody had to sacrifice in that situation. Yeah. Uh, you know, even grandma had to sacrifice by inviting yeah. in a, you know, a grown mom. And, and obviously, it's mother-daughter relationship, so hopefully it was a good relationship. But, yeah. And hopefully, right? You, you never know the details, but, but there was sacrifice up front for long-term stability. So you may have to sacrifice. You may have to to drop to a a one bedroom. You may have to live with friends or family for a while. Um, But you put the plan in place. You build that stability fund that we talked about. You make your rent payments. If If you do have a solid place to live, you make that while you get the education that you need in a field that will produce over time. Um, and, and look for mentors. Look for people that will speak into your life. If you can shadow somebody and follow somebody and learn from them and, and have you know take them to coffee or just meet them at the park and go for a walk and listen to their life experiences and ask how you can step into some of the things that they've stepped into in their life, like walk in their path. You can learn so much. And you'll oftentimes endear yourself to a mentor where they will, they will vouch for you. They will help you get ahead because they've invested time and energy in you. Yeah. And I know Leo, in our relationship over, you know, basically a decade or so, you mentored me and poured into me. And now we work together hand in hand on things, but you allowed me to come and step in some of your footsteps and learn from the things you had done. And then eventually take on some of those responsibilities mm-hmm. And a path was made for me by a mentor and by somebody who had done it before. 
that is so valuable. And so if you need to learn some skills, find a mentor, find somebody that will invest in you. And and you're going to have to look around. You have to find somebody who's actually willing to invest their time and energy, somebody who's not selfish, somebody who cares about other people. Yeah. And somebody who succeeded, obviously. But really, to kind of wrap this up, our hope is that coming out of this coronavirus, and of course, it's not completely over yet, but we are starting to see some improvements, obviously. And that's reflected in what we talked about today in the market. But Also, we know that some of you were impacted in some negative way financially, and you're having to kind of come back to what was normal three months ago, four months ago. And what we're always going to recommend for you is follow these core principles, spend on purpose, save before you spend, build margin, invest wisely. These are the things you want to continue to do. But in a very basic sense, always prioritize where and how you spend your money. It's important that you prioritize the things that will help you to continue to keep going and don't worry about the other things. Do what you can, prioritize your expenses, prioritize the things that matter, the needs before the wants. And then beyond that, you will have time and you have the ability to uh, to, to get to a better place. Sometimes those seasons are, are not easy, mm-hmm. but having a system that in a core set of principles to operate by makes it possible for you to say, I am doing the very best I can I'm going to do the, the right things. And I know that in time, these things will pay off. So, well, we want to thank you for joining us for this episode. We hope that you enjoyed it. And if you did, would you do us a huge favor and rate our podcast on either Apple podcast or any app that you listen to? You could also leave a review. We'd appreciate that. And of course, subscribe to our podcast. That way, every week, a new podcast will be downloaded to your phone or your listening device, and you'll be able to enjoy it. You can also share this podcast on your favorite social media platform. And while you're there, connect with us, follow us, let us know if there's a way that we can increase the knowledge and the value that that we're offering to you so that you can benefit more. You can also find the show notes to this episode, more content and resources at leosabo.com. And we'd love for you to help us with a survey that we've put out. You can find this on the homepage of leosabo.com. This is just a short survey to help us understand what will serve you best as far as content uh, that we are offering. So please help us to know how we may serve you better. Go to stewardshippastors.com. You'll find so many great resources there that teaches spiritual leaders how to teach their congregation about stewardship and finances from a biblical perspective. David's website is chock full of videos and content and blogs and things that will help the spiritual leader to know how to equip his or her own people. So check that out. I think you'll benefit from it. He's also writing a book, Jesus on Money, and love for you to get a copy of that, a pre-ordered copy, so that, uh, so that you'll get that as soon as it comes out. Well, we look forward to having you join us next time so that together we can keep getting money right. And what we're always going to recommend for you is follow these core principles, spend on purpose, save before you spend, build margin, invest wisely. These are the things you want to continue to do. But in a very basic sense, always prioritize where and how you spend your money.